0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I am super excited to explore with you how we can chase yield and achieved super consistent cash flow with triple net leased industrial real estate. Drew Walgren received his BS in finance from California State University at Hayward, and at the age of 21 began chasing his entrepreneurial journey. After eight years as a risk analyst at Liberty Mutual Insurance, Drew Walgren made the decision to leave the corporate world and jump into commercial real estate. Today, Drew enjoys educating investors on the world of alternative investments and specifically the differences net leased industrial real estate has from other commercial real estate asset classes. So Drew, tell us about a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today
1: sure i think the thing that jumps out most to me is when i was about 20 or 20 about 20 years old i was in college and i i worked actually part-time as well for my family's auto shop very blue collar you know family my parents uh, owned and ran this auto mechanic shop they just did mercedes and bmws and really kind of specialized in it so i worked as an apprentice technician and at one point a friend of mine and I kind of realized at this back then the energy drinks were going through a craze and he said, Hey, we could order pallets of this. We'll get a storage unit. We could start, you know, distributing this and selling it. Everyone's clamoring for these types of products right now. So pretty soon I found myself in a greasy mechanics uniform, dirty as hell, and I'm taking in my trunk dozens of cases of energy drinks to gas stations and liquor stores wheeling and dealing and not knowing what the hell i was doing other than knowing i want to make a profit and so i i just was doing that on the side and in hindsight it's pretty funny just these liquor store owners seeing a guy like me in a mechanics outfit with you know dirt all over my you know oil and grease all over my arms and everything and i'm selling them energy drinks but they You know they wheel and deal as well. So beyond that, I I ended up getting into a little argue with my dad, and he fired me. This is you know we're still a great relationship today, but these things happen when you work with family. And so I took off, and I ended up working for another friend who ran a small distribution company. And I took my efforts there, and we bought the company from that existing owner there, and for you know a reasonable amount of money. And at 21 years old, for the next four or five years, we ran this company and grew it. So. That formative time, I think for me, was finding that entrepreneurial side. I, you know, I was always exposed to it with parents who own this auto mechanic shop. And I wanted to do that for myself. And the thrill of going out on your own time and sort of creating your own destiny was really great for me. And, and I think in life it's important to kind of recognize things that fit you and, and things that excite you. And I think that point I really realized. This, that I said, I I want to be an entrepreneur. Never mind the almost eight years I spent in the corporate world, <laughs> but that was a different story that came after the financial crash. When I really was looking for some kind of stability at that time, so there was a time there where I was in the corporate world and I yearned to come back to the entrepreneurial side. So after investing for a while passively, as many of your audience does, you know, working a W two job where I have expendable income investing passively. Um, I had a relationship with the sponsor group called MAG Capital Partners and the rest is history. I joined the team and, and began to grow our, our equity raising process, but also work on the acquisition side, on the debt side with banks and helping put these deals together. So It's been a fun road, and I'm glad to be back in that sort of entrepreneurial, uh, control your own destiny space with a little higher risk, but a lot more excitement.
0: Wow, what a phenomenal experience for an early 20-year-old young man. And you did it pretty much on your own. You you had (laughs) broken with your family, at least (laughs) employment-wise. And so you branched out on your own and purchased a company in your early 20s. That's really pretty amazing. I'd like to talk more about that, but we're here to talk about Triple Net Lease today. So let's get into the fundamentals of Triple Net Lease. What is a Triple Net Lease to start with?
1: Sure, sure. Well, I'll give you kind of the broad spectrum of what we do and then kind of unload and unpack some of that, which is the Triple Net Lease part two. But really, we're specializing as an investment firm in single-tenant, Triple Net Lease uh, industrial assets, industrial real estate, right? And we do a lot of sale leasebacks, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the triple net lease, what that means is when people think of those three Ns, you typically see written down N, 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 that means triple net. And that means that the landlord, they have a lease in place and the responsibilities are net a few of these items, these uh, expenses. That means, uh, excuse me, the tenant is responsible for these three pieces, which are insurance, it is taxes, property taxes, and it's maintenance, right? And, and utilities, I should say, really. But we structure something that we call an absolute net lease where we actually make sure the tenant is also responsible for large capital expenditure items so we're talking about paving the parking lot we're talking about roof roof and structure mechanical systems like HVAC. so in that absolute net lease a landlord doesn't have expenses that can eat away at their cash flow so it's really a great passive investment and we enjoy it because we can not only avoid the management of a property but also avoid expenses that eat away our and our investors' cash flow from month to month or quarter to quarter, which makes for a little bit more of a lumpy cash flow profile. We have a very consistent flat cash flow profile that does escalate over time as rents go up, but we don't have those periodic expenses that can eat away at cash flow. And I'll just jump right into that sale leaseback piece too that I mentioned. This is a primary acquisition uh, for us. This transaction where we're purchasing a property from an existing owner and a commercial business who owns the asset. They're looking to sell the property and simultaneously, we lease it back to them. So simultaneous transaction, usually a 15 or 20-year triple net lease. And in this case, the seller is really looking to access capital. It's a financing transaction for them. They're looking to strengthen their balance sheet, invest in more equipment for growth. Maybe it's to add to their war chest to make an acquisition of a competitor could be a number of different things. So everyone is a little bit case by case, and it's it's always interesting to find out sort of what they're looking to use this capital for. But the great thing from a landlord perspective is, at the end of the day, you have tenant that that's that much stronger, right? Say it's a ten million dollar transaction. That's the proceeds to this tenant who owns the asset. Well, now they just their balance sheet got that much stronger, and maybe again they're investing into something like new equipment for a new product line that's going to increase revenues and profits. I love that, right? That's where the risk is. So you really want to see more and more credit enhancement and strength in your tenant that's backing that lease. Well, I just
0: received something from your partner a few days ago in conjunction to a recent acquisition that you all have completed in the Texas area. And it is, I guess they're a distribution firm of Mercedes and other high-end vehicles. Is that correct? Are we talking about the same thing here?
1: trying to think of which deal you're thinking of. We just closed on a property, a a two-property portfolio in Waco, Texas. I'm not sure if that's the one you were thinking of.
0: Well, it's a trucking firm, essentially.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. We actually purchased, um, and this is something we've gotten into, is purchasing the real estate along with the operating company itself. And so this is a little bit different than just real estate. And something that we've found ourselves naturally spreading out into, which is working in the in the real estate investment space. But we have these core competencies that really are, are right in line with the private equity group. We work shoulder to shoulder with private equity groups a lot of times as they're purchasing an operating company and looking to spin off the real estate in a sale leaseback transaction again. So we've seen how they operate. We analyze and do so much credit due diligence on a business that I always kind of say, we waddle and quack a bit like a private equity group in that way. We have so much due diligence on this business. So we really understand what they're doing and working alongside private equity groups. We understand how they structure the acquisitions, structure returns to their investors. And so we've naturally made that push into this area, which we've been eyeballing and, and thinking about and stirring on for probably two years now. So we made an acquisition of a auto transport company. Came with the real estate as long as 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 well as 25 trucks and trailers. So here you have a about a $7 million acquisition with about half of that being in hard assets, right? They all have some depreciation on the auto, on the truck and equipment side, but you can actually front load that depreciation in the equipment as well as the real estate and still get those benefits as you would with just a standard real estate deal. So a little bit different there. And, and yeah, you saw one of our first forays into that space, and we have another one coming, but really our first love is industrial triple net real estate. And that's where we're going. And this private equity side, again, natural departure here. And we've partnered up with a a guy who used to be a CEO of one of our tenant businesses. And we've formed a relationship there and we've partnered with him on that side to place him as CEO and grow the company there. So I'll try to keep it more real estate based. I think most of your listeners want to hear about real estate and not private equity, but... You know, if anyone wants to reach out after the show and talk about that, that's that's great.
0: We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steetalker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yeah, well, I was curious about that because in just reading that snippet that your partner sent out, it didn't sound exactly like a triple net lease. So, thanks for explaining the difference between that and why it is that you're reaching out into those new markets. Well, you talked a little bit about the analyzing credit of a tenant in the due diligence process and how in depth you go into that. Take us a little bit further into that process.
1: Sure. I think the first step is you know when you're in real estate, you, you kind of you may look at a tenant like this and. The important thing is always sort of recognizing knowing what you don't know. And so, you know, we're all really interested in real estate and everyone here on our team can read a balance sheet and an income statement, but it goes deeper than that. We want to be as thorough as possible. So we brought in corporate credit analysts from a couple of publicly traded REITs. These guys have institutional experience and they do a fantastic job. They work on for weeks, if not months with this tenant to. Gather financials to interview the C-suite uh, management at the firm to really understand, you know, where they've been, where they're going, what kind of risks there are, and what kind of strengths they have. And we want to synthesize all of that into a credit memo, which we put together for our, our lending partners, our equity investor partners, and and everyone, so we can see show them, hey, here's everything we found. Um, so it's nice to bring in very competent experts onto the team to really handle that because, again. You don't want to sort of take yourself too far out of real estate and pretend that you have those skills and you need to have people on your team that can do that for you. So we've actually begun to offer the service on the side to even other real estate investment firms. And they say, hey, I have a single tenant property. Can you help me with the credit analysis? And we do that for them. You know, It's just a separate process and and fee. And it's great that we can bring that skill set to a real estate operator who... Understands. Hey, I'm not investing the equity in this company. I need to know that they can be solvent and pay rent. You know, if if they're going to maintain flat revenues, they've had flat revenues for the past ten years, and it looks like they're going to for the foreseeable future. That's a great place to be as a landlord. I'm perfectly happy with that. As an equity investor in the company, not so much. Right? You want to see growth. So in this case, you have a different risk profile around this tenant and their credit, and it's important to recognize and understand that risk around there. So. That would be my advice to anyone who's looking at a single tenant asset investment there and, and say, hey, bring on someone or hire a team like ours or anyone else's to analyze the credit. And that way you can have an understanding of of what risk you're taking on because it is concentrated. You have a single tenant and you want to know what you're taking on. And, and we always build in quarterly financial reporting um, required in the lease and the tenant. So it's something that we Look to we use that to mitigate the risk so we understand what's happening month to month, but also it's important for the structure of the asset to uh, we're creating some contractual value when we do a sale lease back, right? We're putting together a lease agreement that's 15 or 20 years that's institutional grade. So when we do go to, to sell, there are publicly traded REITs and funds institutions that look at something like this and say, okay, this lease we're inheriting something that's institutional grade. So it's important to sort of know what they're looking for and build that into your lease for for mitigation and for sales purposes.
0: Yeah, that has always been my concern with triple net lease is the single tenant issue. And so I can understand why you have the in-depth credit analysis there and that you're bringing experts into that who really know how to analyze credit and analyze financials that really is not so much looking at credit in terms of multifamily or self-storage or even mobile home parks. The credit issue isn't all that great and big, but you still have to do an in-depth analysis of what's going on with the operations there to really know whether or not you're getting a good deal. So you had just mentioned that you do it for other real estate investors. My question is, do you do that for people who are looking for Multifamilies offer that same service for somebody who's looking for a multifamily a home or a mobile home park? Uh,
1: no, we'd be talking about, oh, sorry to interrupt, but the corporate credit risk is what we're we have a competency there. If you're looking at multifamily, I mean, I, I think that's where the trade-off is. And people sometimes see a single tenant risk and they see it as inherently higher, but they're not recognizing that, you know, on the other side of that token, you have a deep understanding. Of this tenant, you don't get that with the multifamily tenant. You might run a credit report and find out if you know basically major red flags. But there's a lot of other things that can happen. There, you know, per, in people's personal life, hey, the family member gets sick and they say, hey, I'm sorry, I have to break my lease. I'm I'm gone. You know, and that's a tough to find recourse for something like that. So in our case, we have a lot of recourse. We have an entity that's well established, and they're they're not going to pick up and leave. And if they do, again, we have a lot of recourse there, but. We understand the risk around there. We understand their financials. You're just not going to get that on a multi-tenanted property. Oftentimes, even with some uh, industrial flex spaces where you have a multi-tenanted industrial park, for instance, you have a lot of small businesses, right? You have alignment shops and fabrication shops and things like that. And you know, maybe you're going to get a little bit of their financials, and oftentimes you're going to find, uh, you know, something that's not real pretty, to be honest, right? <laughs> you have some small businesses. These aren't Fortune 500 companies, right? you find out that okay, you know it's a single owner, he's got one or two hired hands and he's making about 60, 70, 80k a year, and that might be okay, right? But you're certainly a higher risk around the tenant, or I should say around each tenant, but diversified across multiple units. So that's uh, that trade-off, right? You just don't have that understanding of your tenant and the strength of the tenant on that side, but you have a diversification to offset that,
0: right. I guess I didn't word my question correctly, but I, the question I was asking was, do you provide underwriting services for those investing in multifamily or?
1: Not generally. We're, we're looking to be a source for people that are looking at single tenant credit risk. And that's that's where we want to use our skills in, in a commercial business credit analysis. So we don't, we don't do underwriting services outside.
0: Very different, but still a critical thing when you're investing is the underwriting process. And it's challenging to, to really know what you're getting. Well, anyway, so you talked about the risk and the way that you mitigate the risk is really through that in-depth credit analysis. And that makes a lot of sense to me, but there's still a risk, it seems to me like, that is outside of that credit risk. And that is the fact that economics go in cycles. There is bust and boom. And those can't be foreseen. Even with the best credit, some businesses could have real challenges when the economy crashes. How do you mitigate for that?
1: I totally agree. I'll go over a a couple other ways. Uh, You have to look at that worst case scenario, right? What happens if you run into a vacant property here? What's that look like? How is that process? Are you in a defensible position in a scenario like that? So, but before that, I mean, we see a lot of companies out there, even large companies, and like you said. There's always risk. You could have a company that's doing a billion dollars in revenue and they may have to ch- uh, file chapter 11 bankruptcy because they're over levered. They're not managing their expenses and debts. And you know maybe things look really rosy from the time that we jump into an investment and things can change over the course of two, three, four years. So again, we're looking at that quarterly financial to monitor that. So that's a piece. But When you do have a case of a a tenant who has multiple sites, right? Hey, they have a dozen locations across the country, if not the world. You have to look at that Chapter 11 bankruptcy risk. What happens in that case? And they may look to rebalance their debts and write off some debts under protection of the bankruptcy court. That's okay as a landlord. But they also have the opportunity to break a lease. That doesn't mean that they can stay there. They can get out of a lease under protection of the court. However, they have to move out. So as a landlord, we're looking for site-level revenues, site-level profitability and strength. I want to know that if they have a dozen locations, we have the crown jewel. We have their main operating or manufacturing site, for instance. We have their headquarters, for instance. You really just want to find out how important this site is to the organization as a whole. Because yeah, if you have an overflow warehouse, that's going to probably be the first thing that they axe right? We need to get out of this. We need to consolidate a bit more. But we're looking for, again, that headquarters where, hey, the entire accounting team, sales team, C-suite is all housed in the office space here. And the largest manufacturing operation is right behind that and the warehouse behind it. So uh, an asset like that, I want that, right? If they restructure their debts under chapter 11, you're actually in good shape there. I mean, it's not a great position to be in and you want to avoid that. But if that scenario comes around, look, you're protected as a landlord. They're going to continue. They're obligated to pay rents. As they operate out of there, you know, if you hold their bonds or, or some kind of other level of debt with this company, you might be in trouble there. you might have some reorganization. but as a landlord, we're in a much better position. so that's one piece, the other piece is, look let's go full blown nuclear, right? They filed chapter seven, they're liquidating all of their assets, they're moving out, they're boarding up. In that case, you really need to make sure you have those real estate fundamentals, and you need to make sure before making that investment so that's important to us. We would rather negotiate with the seller, especially in the sale leaseback where they say, hey, we need, we need at least 8 million in assets. You know, however, the property's worth about 10. We may say, hey, let's lower the proceeds here. You need eight. We can get you nine and we'll lower your rent. I would rather give you less proceeds and have a lower rent. And, and in that case, they have a really nice long-term low overhead that they, you know, two, three percent rent bumps very consistent increases in that rent overhead over the next 15 or 20 years. And for us, we have the protection of that below market rent. So if we do have a point where we have an empty property, hey, I'm below market. I have a lot of demand. There's there's not a lot of supply. I mean, right now and for the foreseeable future, demand is absolutely outpacing supply in the industrial market. So I think we finally got below 5% national Industrial vacancy, right? I think it's 4.8% nationally. So really tight demand out there. And if you have an asset that's below market, there's actually potential for upside, right? And I don't want to count on that. It's a bad scenario to be in. We just want to know that we can retenant the property fairly quickly and easily, but you could still count on that process taking three, four, or five, maybe even six months long to go through that process, to sign a new tenant. So it's certainly different than multifamily where it takes one month to do that. You know, 30 days on a well-run property, they'll have a new tenant signing. So it's a little bit different there, but uh, you want to know that in that worst case scenario, which is extremely unlikely, you're holding an asset that has a lot of value that's attractive to a tenant.
0: As a company, you all have some impressive educational programs for potential investors and for people who want to know more about Triple Net Lease. So, share with us what the programs are and how people can find out more about them and get into those programs.
1: Sure, I mean I, I work one-on-one with a lot of investors who reach out and who have questions and they're interested in joining us in a passive capacity. Uh, they they recognize and are attracted to that day-one cash flow. It's very consistent. Again, this is not lumpy cash flow. So, people reach out and they have questions, want to learn more. That's really how I like to educate investors versus sort of saying, "Hey." Here's a webinar, watch it. I want people to have that relationship with us, especially if they're considering joining us. But, you know, if people have questions or are looking at their own investment, you know, feel free to reach out. I mean, I have a lot of love for talking shop in the industry and finding out what folks are investing in. You know, even if it's not alongside us, they're saying, hey, I'm looking at this property here. And if there's any way we can help and, you know chat about it and knock a deal around to, to find out what the best avenue to go is. I, I love talking shop. So I would say reach out to us. You can go to our website and I'm sure you'll put this in the show notes or they can email me directly and we can set up a call to chat. My email, that's okay to, to drop here is Drew, D-R-E-W at magcp.com and we can chat then.
0: And the website is, is the same. It's magcp.com. So reach out to Drew. Lots of brilliant information there. It's been a wonderful interview today. Just one last question. Share one of your most difficult setbacks in life. And how did you come through that time? And what lessons did you learn?
1: Oh, gosh, at one point, let's see, is sort of the depths of the financial crisis. I had bachelor's degree and I majored in finance. I had gone into that world very briefly. (laughs) And because that crash, uh, if if you were new to that industry in 2008, that was uh, not a great place to be. And so I was really searching. And I think you spoke with my brother recently. He's a longtime Air Force veteran, C-130 pilot. And, and he had encouraged me. He goes, look, I know you're interested in, in the idea of becoming a pilot. And you know you can absolutely come in here. And it was tough. I went in there and I had a blood pressure issue that was beyond their sort of criteria. And they said, you do not qualify. You know, They have to have the very healthiest and best of the best physically for a pilot program. So I was turned down. I they asked me to come back a couple of times just to make sure and just turn no, no, no's. And it was, I was floundering a bit in my career because I didn't know what to do. It felt like, you know, sometimes their memory is a little short term, but I think back to that time, and it just felt like, well, what are you going to do? You know, you don't have a ton of experience. The financial world is only laying off people. So forget that. Find something different. You know, and so I had a short stint at a logistics brokerage doing sales, and I said I will, you know, happily take that entrepreneurial profile and hustle mm-hmm. to to make money, even in a world that I'm not super familiar with. But yeah, it was a little, it was tough. I really didn't know where where to take my life, and. I think that's good to kind of stay humble and know that you'll always have your, if you want to call it your hustle, your drive to kind of back you up. And in a case like that, I found a way to make money in an industry that I didn't even have a lot of experience in. Again, just by being open minded, willing to learn and work hard. And so I don't know what the takeaway here is other than you know, make sure you have that and and motivation because times aren't always easy. And I think we've all been through it.
0: Well, brilliant. Drew, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thanks, Dr. L. Appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments.